0: Old Testament reading for Ash Wednesday is from Joel, chapter two. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent, and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet of Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you ever notice how celebrities and politicians apologize on the news when they mess up? Yes, how do they apologize on the news when that microphone is in their face? and the cameras are on them, and all ears are listening. How do they apologize? Next time that a celebrity or a politician apologizes, after they land themselves in a huge scandal, watch and listen to their apology. Yes, watch and listen carefully. Whether they had an affair, or embezzled money, or lied, or some other kind of issue, mark this, their apology, yes, their apologies are all the same. They're all the same. Sure, some of them will cry, the mascara running down their face, while others may use a serious voice when they apologize. But nonetheless, in the end, it's all the same. It's all the same. Their apologies are all the same because they only go as far as they need to to cover up the consequence of their infraction, and they never give an inch more. In other words, if they're caught in a so-called minor wrongdoing, They will not give a major apology. Yes, if they are caught in a minor offense, they will not give a major apology. But they will give just a minor apology to meet the offense. Why give a major apology if only a minor apology is needed? If they did something that was a bit more than a medium or perhaps even a small offense, let's just say it's a medium offense, a medium infraction, they will then indeed give a medium apology, and not an inch more. Again, the degree of their apology is typically gauged in how much they messed up. If they're caught with an affair, yes, they will apologize for the affair, but certainly they will not bring up the affair that they had the year before. But my friends, don't we all do this? Don't we all do this, myself included? Dear friends, consider the fact that we really do not like to apologize in the first place. We don't like to say we're sorry. It does not come natural to us. We simply don't. We do not like to apologize. We don't like to be wrong. Our old Adam is stubborn. We don't like being wrong, and it certainly grinds our gears when we have to admit that we're wrong and say that we're sorry. Those words come off as a stutter for many of us. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, and we have to force it out. But when we do apologize, the majority of our apologies, well, they tend to be half-baked. We surrender our ego and we cough up some sort of superficial apology only when we need to and often to just make things and problems go away. Say you're sorry, we say to our kids and to one another. You better say you're sorry. And then what happens? I'm sorry. Well, that didn't sound like you meant it, but good enough. Now go your separate ways. All is good. We apologize just enough to make things right. Kids, well, you apologize to mom and dad just enough to make sure that you don't lose your cell phone and you can still keep those keys to the car. Husbands, you apologize to your wives. Yes, husbands, you apologize to your wives just enough to make sure that the bedroom sheets don't grow cold. Wives, you apologize to your husbands just enough to make sure that he doesn't think twice about getting you that new ring, that new bling that you may have hinted at for the last year. You get the point. We all do it. But this brings up an interesting point. Why apologize at a level 10 apology when it's only a level 3 offense? Why apologize this much? Well, I guess we have to admit that this is how the world often works. Our world is pretty superficial. It's shallow when it comes to making an apology. It's shallow when it comes to issues of repentance. You see, more often than not, when a person does wrong in our world, an apology is needed to recognize that a wrongdoing has been committed. We demand an apology. And then there must be an atonement, an atonement to make things right, to appease that wrongdoing. For example, if a sports athlete decides to slap a woman around, he must say that he's sorry and shed at least two tears on the camera, and then he must check himself into anger management for an atonement. see, the world, for the world, repentance is all that matters on the outside. It has to be done and conducted on the outside. That's all that's needed. Checking off a couple things, say you're sorry, shed a tear, go into management, it's atoned for. But this is not how it is with God. That is not how it is with God. It's not how it is true for the Christian faith. This is not how it works for you and me. In our reading from the Old Testament book of Joel, we hear about repentance. God calls the people of Judah to repent. They were to put sackcloths on their heads. They were to stop actually eating food. For a time, they were to weep, that means cry, they were to lament, they were to actually take their clothes and tear them in two, to shred the clothes on their body. Now, our immediate reaction as we read this, as we contemplate the book of Joel, we would all conclude that this is most definitely a level 10 apology. It is definitely a level 10 or perhaps maybe even a level 11 apology it's that kind of repentance. It would be what we would consider a major apology. But truth be told, sackcloths on the head, no food for our time, crying and lamenting before God for sin, get this, it's still not enough. It is still not enough. Instead, get this, we hear that God tells us that we are to rend our hearts. The word rend is not a very familiar word to us. Nevertheless, it's a word that means to tear, to rip into pieces. In other words, in the ancient biblical times, when a great terror or a great problem or a great grief came upon a person, a real, something huge, let's just put it that way, something that was out of the ordinary, something that was a great kind of pain that was too deep to even express with words or even comprehend, Well, they would grab their clothes, typically by the neck, and they'd rip them. They would rend their clothes from their body, ripping them to shreds. Tearing your clothes was an expression of extraordinary and uncontrollable emotion. And so the point is this. God is calling the people of Judah not only to tear their clothes, but to tear their hearts, to shred those hearts. You see, dear friends, you see, when it comes to sin, yes, when it comes to sin, our God is not interested in a half-baked apology. Our Lord is not content with a superficial, I'm sorry, the reason being, well, sin is not child's play. If it was, then a simple sorry would suffice, but sin is not child's play. Sin is not a drop in the bucket. It is not small potatoes, is not a breeze, Sin, it damns. Sin, it kills. Sin, it deserves wrath. Sin merits hell. Sin earns punishment. Sin deserves condemnation. And so when we sin, anything less than rendering our hearts, splitting our hearts into pieces is shallow. It's careless. It's foolish. It's nothing. It's just show but this sounds mean this sounds mean why would God want our hearts split into hundreds of pieces why would God call us to rend our hearts such a violent word why would he why would he pose that to us in our reading from Joel this evening It's quite simple the Lord God wants you and me to get into touch with reality He wants you and me to sober up to sober up to the damning reality of our sin to see sin how it really is and then to sigh and then to weep you see repentance repentance itself is nothing more than you and I coming back to the reality of who we are and what we have done because of our sin not only between one another but before God almighty Repentance is not offering a half-baked apology or a silly atonement for our mistakes. You know, I I can make it up, God. I will just do these things. That's nonsense. No, repentance is us coming all the way back to the reality that we, that I, that you and I, that we are poor, miserable sinners who deserve God's wrath and his punishment. Repentance, get this, repentance is saying like we said here this evening, what we say every Sunday in our confession of sin each Sunday morning, it's us taking this fist and it's beating our chest, beating to it right here in our bones. God, you could kill me and send me to hell, send me to hell itself, for that would be fair and that would be right, because I am a poor, miserable sinner who has failed you and failed my neighbors by my thoughts, my words, and my deeds." Have mercy. Now, some like to think that if they truly rend their hearts, that if they properly come to the end of themselves, that God will stand up and he will look at a torn-up, rended heart, and God will stand up and he will clap his hands. He'll say, wow, well done. You have repented correctly. I'm impressed. That was a 10-plus apology. You sure landed that apology. I guess I now must owe you a little bit of forgiveness to pay out because you apologize correctly. Dear friends, when the reality of our sin and the condemning force of the law grind us into fine powder and leave us with shattered hearts, it's tough to hear this, but God does not owe you and me anything. He does not owe us a single thing. Even if you get in touch with reality and recognize the magnitude of your sin, God does not have to forgive you. He owes you nothing for your sin and your confession. You could perfectly confess your sins and God could still send you to hell and that, my friends, yes, that would be perfectly fair. It would be perfectly just of God to send you to hell. But he doesn't. Did you hear that? But he doesn't. It would be fair for him to do that, but he does not do that. You see, we hear also tonight, we hear also tonight that your God is kind and merciful. He's patient. He shows you pity. He shows me pity. How do you and I know this to be true? We know this to be true because we hear from his word. For God so loved the world that he loved you, that he gave his son, his one and only unique son, and this is why, so that you would not be destroyed, so that you would not be condemned, so that you would not find the fires of hell themselves, so that he would claim you and forgive you. And so he forgives you not because you are perfectly repentant, as if you are worthy of a reward. No, he forgives you because of Jesus. Jesus who died for the ungodly. Christ who died indeed for the ungodly. You see, the forgiveness of Christ is not for you when you are doing well at being sorry. No, the forgiveness of Christ is for you and me because our Lord is rich in mercy. He's abounding in love for people who are too weak and too sick in sin to do anything to get themselves ready for God's favor. Christ, he comes to empty-handed, dead, beggarly, and poor sinners to graciously forgive and cleanse. And so baptized saints this evening, Listen up and hear this. We are spiritual orphans. This is most certainly true. However, you are adopted in Christ. We are guilty of sin. This is most certainly true. However, you are justified in Christ. We are enemies with God because of our rebellion. However, you are made friends with God through Christ. As a gift, we are dead in our sins. However, you are made alive in Christ by being given faith. We are blind to righteousness. However, we are given eyes to see in Christ. We deserve hell. However, we are given heaven as a gift. Heaven comes to you because of Christ. We deserve wrath. However, we are given grace. You are given grace in Christ as a gift. And so tonight, we repent boldly for this is the life of a Christian. However, as we repent boldly, we long and we lean forward to hear the good news of the gospel even more that we are forgiven for Christ's sake for Christ comes only for sinners and as he does, he considers it Well, worthwhile. You're forgiven in Jesus, baptized saints. Every single one of your sins is forgiven. And tonight, he pours his body and blood upon your tongue to seal that promise and to deliver to you that forgiveness, life, and salvation for the sake of your assurance today and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, amen. The word he speaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormatrichard.org, or visit Saint Paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org.